RadioFreedomSlips.com. You don't need to expect us. We're already here. This is the people's war. It is our war. We are the fighters. Fight it, then. Fight it with all that is in us. And may God defend the right. Warning, warning. We've got to stop them. They're going to kill us all. See how the trouble you've started? Be they the government, be they industry, be they organized labor, be they anyone, or human beings. Time when the operation of the machine becomes so odious, makes you so sick at heart, that you can't take part. You can't even passively take part. And you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels, upon the levers, upon all the apparatus, and you've got to make it stop. And you've got to win the day to the people who run it, to the people who own it. Revolution Radio of FreedomSlips.com, the number one listener-supported talk radio station, throwing ourselves upon the gears of the machine. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. You called down the thunder, well now you've got it. You tell them I'm coming, and hell's coming with me, you hear? Hell's coming with me! Revolution Radio! We did not engage in conflict that was out of line with our mission. Is it disloyal? Is it sedition? Is it treason to oppose the hands of tyranny? Never! I will never send troops anywhere on a mission of that kind without telling them that if somebody shoots at them, they can darn well shoot back. I know not what course others will take. But as for me, give me liberty! Oh, give me! A dark cloud is finally lifting across the world as U.S. military intelligence and their global partners are destroying the deep state criminal power structure that has ruled over our planet for hundreds of years. We are free with the God-given rights, and we shall not yield that right to any power on Earth. Hi, I'm Scott McKay. The world is at, and I am your host on The Tipping Point. On Revolution Radio, where every Monday from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, we bring you the latest in this ensuing takedown of this global criminal empire. That's an image of strength. You'll get the raw, hard truth here on The Tipping Point. So come join us Mondays, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, in Studio B at Revolution.Radio. Thanks for listening while we take that short break here at Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com. And now we're going to get back to your host. All right, it's Revolution Radio. This is for Association. It's 4 o'clock in the afternoon in Newcastle upon Tyne. I'm in my usual spot in the Destination 1850 Cafe at the Central Station. And there's, there are dogs. <laughs> there are dogs around. It's been busy. Um, so my usual format is uh, normal surface will re- be resumed next week. Today I've got uh, I've got Lenny time with me. So this is Newcastle calling Northern California. Are you there, Lenny? I am here, Dennis. How are things going? Excellent. I'm doing good. I'm doing very good. In fact, I've just bought some new toys to play with, so I'm uh, I'm in the process of setting up some some real technology. 
and uh, improving the quality of the sound on what I'm doing. So eventually it'll become a bit more professional, but I'm, I'm working my way there slowly but surely. I remember when your first radio station visit was a couple of years ago, three or four now. And uh, we just packed the radio station. We got lots of people to play. And uh, now you're still going. It's great. People oh, need to hear it, different words. That was awesome. I, I used to do that from, from cafes with my phone. And now I'm looking to backpack around with me with a laptop and a USB microphone in it. So I've moved up a level. But uh, I'm getting there slowly. The, the sound quality's improved a little bit, but there's still a lot. It, I think the background noise adds to the ambience of it. I agree with you. I think that there's a lot of things in play and that people have to open their minds to accept whatever comes at them. That right now we've got a very closed system where people want their way and would rather fuss to get it than just to let things work in a normal, convenient manner. Yeah, I think eventually I've found my, my space. I mean, it took me two years to find a space that I was happy with. I've been in, I've been in uh, business parks. I've been, I've been in, in my, my, my flat, but I still don't have reliable Wi-Fi or reliable uh, smartphone hotspot in my, in my flat. It comes and goes a bit too much to be, to be a radio show. I got away with it for a couple of years, but then I had to rethink it because it was it, for some reason the, the signal just died died off a little bit more than was need. Skype made a good good quality signal, and it, it wasn't quite good enough in, in my my apartment. But the radio, the the railway station, makes a good venue for a radio show. So I've got I've got a table that I use every single day. I'm here doing podcasts during the week as well. So I'm literally just sitting at the table that I use, and it feels comfortable now because I've been doing it for three months or whatever. So it feels like my space. So now it's time for us to put up a sign and announce that you're a radio station and see if people wandering the train station want to interview. Oh, there is that. I could want, I could potentially wander around with a, with a microphone or sit on the actual concourse. I'm in a, in a cafe out of the way a little bit at the moment, but uh, I should put the word out. I've been putting the word out on Telegram with some people and to see if we, see if we can get a, a round table together on Telegram. And I've been putting the word out in a couple of other places. So eventually there'll be enough people to get a, a regular group of people together. And I've got microphones now as well, so I can, I can mic people up and do it, do it a little bit more professionally. Yeah, I have my yeah, microphone sitting aside. As soon as I left my radio show, I turned off the mic, and I haven't pulled it out since. But I'm fortunate that I'm in a very quiet space, and I can just look at my computer and talk at it, and everything is fine system-wise and sound-wise. Yeah, that's good, man. You, were, you, were, you mentioned something about uh, being interested in the multi-worlds hypothesis when I was chatting with you the other night at two o'clock in the morning and uh, i've just about got to that place myself i'm interested in it if not if not bought into it i don't i don't necessarily buy into these things but i'm i'm interested in in having a conversation with you about it okay we can go down that path i 
call myself Dr. Lenny Time mostly because I like to play with time, and I do not think that time works for us when we're bound to the calendar and the 24-hour day. A lot of what they've done with us is made our time so that it puts stress on people, and you're always chasing the clock, never quite getting there. Well, the many worlds theory, Elliot, I think, was the guy who came up with it, basically says that you live in your own timeline, but when you make a decision, you open up a new timeline. And that new timeline is a duplicate timeline on another scale. If it doesn't go anywhere and your decision doesn't make any difference in your life, you end up back on your original timeline. But if the decision that you've made does change something, you've now got a second timeline open so that your original character who made the other decision is going off in a different direction and you get to pursue your new direction. However, your consciousness cannot be in two distinct timelines for you as an individual on your own. You're in two distinct timelines. You might even be in three or four, but your consciousness remains active in one, and you get to be a non-player character, an NPC in the others. But each time a world comes about, the chances of it disappearing and regressing back into the previous world are pretty darn good. There aren't too many new worlds created, but when you do create a new world, you're off on an adventure and it goes tangent to the timeline that you're on. So you can't ever run into yourself and you can be in different places in, in time. So getting your your consciousness is in one place, but if your consciousness is in a place that's a dead end, you could wake up in another consciousness that's in another world that you don't quite recognize because your dead end world just ended. Most worlds go for milliseconds, but they're all normalized to human scale so that if you are human, you think you're on a scale where you're going to live to be about 80 years old and you have 24 hours in a day. That doesn't necessarily hold. Physics of scale do not have to be the same, but fractal scales have the same physics and scales that are vastly far apart in the con continuous spectrum we'll say of light and sound, but it's more than that, they, they can have the same narrative. So you're on a narrative, it's working, but if you're on a longer-lived world and the narrative's more important, they might be working on the narrative. You might actually have a role to play. So a lot of people live their lives on these millisecond worlds never making a difference, but sometimes we do make a difference and we graduate to a longer world and a longer world. And I currently think that there's stuff going on on a 26,000-year cycle, 25,894 years, according to David Wilcox and the Mayan calendar, who I don't think talk to each other when they're coming up with their ideas.
Yeah, that's the that's the galactic scale, isn't it? The the idea that we're moving around galactic center or whatever, or being aligned with galactic center. Yeah, and I kind of think that we're inside another critter, that we're not we're not the biggest scale, we're not the smallest scale. And the way life works is life is embedded in life is embedded in life. So water scale could very much be a fractal of human scale. And every single water molecule, an H2O, has enough degrees of freedom to be on its own for thinking and, and having memory. Michael Schiff, a Frenchman in the 1990s, wrote a book, The Memory of Water, in which he described the work of Jean Beneviste, who did a lot of work in France on, um, uh, escapes me now, but Beneviste's work was on water and had to do with impressions left in water, and they, they, they tore yeah. them apart. But then later on, Dr. Emoto from Japan in the 2000s, and he, he did a lot of work with water, and he showed that water responds to sound. And he did some very excellent experiments that the scientific community won't accept because he was a medical doctor instead of a Ph.D., but Ph.D. stands for piled higher and deeper. And you got to watch those people when they talk because they know a lot about what they know about. But we don't really know too much off the topic that we're talking about. Yeah. But there's, there's a lot of license for people on the cutting edge to make things up because nobody really knows. Yeah, there are, there are no peers to review on the cutting edge. Either. There's just the, the guy who's out in front doing, doing what he does in his small, small little bit of the field. And but you see, science goes along, in effect. Yeah, science advances one funeral at a time. You yeah, really absolutely. can't criticize the top scientists because they've worked the model as far as they could and pushed the borders of it. But it doesn't mean the model we're currently using is correct, and I'm almost certain it can't be correct. It doesn't seem yeah, the, like the organic yeah. structure has much to be except scaffolding, that the real work within the body has to do with the water, the inorganic chemistry, and the salts. And I would strongly hope that people can start investigating things that science tells us are off limits, like cold fusion, which Pons and Fleischer found in the 1990s and then also got railroaded out of but that's there, there's cold fusion they demonstrated to a degree of satisfaction that only people with a mission to derail would not accept but the whole mission of the uber structure seems to derail humanity Notice how many small frustrations have crept into life these days, and there's nothing you can really do about it. Everything is shrouded in plastic, and if you try and get it out of plastic, it takes hours or minutes, and you end up cutting yourself. The plastic is so tight, but yet, I don't know. 
we in trouble. We need a new way of thinking, Dennis. And it ain't going to come oh, about public schools and current administrations. No, I Go agree ahead. with you. I agree with you. There's a there's a there's a, a limit on a limit on what you can do in an academic way. There's a it's self limiting. It's it, the way it's constructed is using research students as free labour basically to get their PhDs. And there's a limit on the number of, on the on, it's a it's a multi-level marketing scheme in effect. It's a net, net, it's, it's it's a pyramid scheme. And it's self-limiting because you're going to run out of research students eventually. And, and by the time, by the time the research students get their PhDs, they've run out of things to research. So they've just, everything gets smaller and smaller and smaller, and more and more specialised, and you lose the big picture. Yeah, there's no PhD in Renaissance studies. You don't have Renaissance men around anymore who know a lot about a whole lot of different things. And I've always tried to apply chemistry to everything else and come up with ways where if it fits the chemistry model, it should fit the life model. And chemistry is a submodel of the life model, obviously. But you can have any submodel of the life model, and it has to fit. And one of the things we seem to have done with our sciences these days is isolated them from each other, changed their terminology, and have it so your chemists talk past your physicists, your physicists talk past your chemists, your biochemists create whole new ways of doing things that have nothing to do with physics and chemistry, and your doctors keep giving shots to people when they're deadly. Yeah, nobody's nobody's generalist enough to see see where something's creeping in that's going to be a problem later on. Everybody's focusing on one on their little bit because they're frightened of getting it wrong. And it's compartmentalization. The people who run the place aren't terribly smart, but they do have their agenda. And if you're not on their agenda, they will undercut you. So I would guess. There's probably close to 50 to 100 million people running around this world who've had the floor cut out for them because they know the truth. And once they started speaking it, they lost their job, they lost their family, they lost their integrity because the system just goes on the attack and will pull the rug out from under you no matter what you do. Yeah, it's, it's getting very tricky out there. I dropped out of dropped out of university more well I, I carried on with it but i didn't actually finish the course really i dropped out in the second year of mine because I, I so I, I spotted something 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 in my gut told me that it wasn't the right place for me to be and that's all a long time ago but uh obviously there's other other things going on there was stuff going on with me at the same time that was limiting my ability to kind of connect with it at, at academic level but for whatever reason, I ended up doing non-academic stuff, and it served me served me very, very well over the last 23 years when I've had time to actually look at it in in detail. I've looked at all sorts of things that are considered to be pseudoscience, and most of them are pseudoscience, but that doesn't stop them from being useful. You don't need a degree to understand something. All you need is the intention to learn what you're doing. And there's a lot of people who understand what they do so well that they just do it and it works. 
But yeah, if exactly. you undercut their understanding with how it really works, what they're doing won't work anymore. Because if they understood what they were doing, they would come to a problem, a loggerhead. But since they don't really understand it and they know it works and they keep doing it, they just do it. And most educated people think there's only one way to get something done and everything else is BS. And that's total BS. Most educated people are educated only in their area and not broadly. And we do need more people who can talk on all ranges of the scale and freedom to try things. There's a lot of people who run their vehicles on water through browns gas or activated hydrogen or other different things, but you're not allowed to do it and you're not allowed to communicate. And if you start communicating with other people, they go after you. The targeting system needs to be devoured. The whole system needs to be devoured. We need to flush it, work on something that's not based on economics. I can do something on chemistry. You can build something in philosophy. Everybody can build their own worlds in their own area, and then we'll come back together and fold them together. But this idea of economics with whoever has the most toys wins has led to what I consider a CG world, because I don't think all these old coots are still alive, the Bill Gateses and the... All, all the, the George Soros's and those people, they're just CGI. They, they've been through enough renditions of the same person. They're too old. They're not capable of making decisions, but they weren't allowed to pass and move the thing, the bar. So normally where people in their 50s are the decision makers, we have a world where the decision makers are still in their 90s and Henry Kissinger is still running around starting wars. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's like we're still living. We're still living in the Cold War, effectively, because the people who were making the decisions in the Cold War are still behind the scenes. So it looks like it's changed, but but a lot of what's going on at the moment is the 1950s re- rewriting itself. Yeah, I've been interested in a guy on the YouTube running a channel called Archaics. A-R-C-H-A-I-X. And he says that there was a an artificial intelligence, an AIX that came into our matrix, and so they closed it. And until they get rid of it, all the souls are trapped here in this matrix. And he says there's a 138-year Phoenix cycle that comes up and wipes out evil every 138 years but only partially in the world, and then they rebuild the construct and keep it going. There's a lot of things in the construct that do not make sense. Everything from what the pyramids are to how melted buildings get out. John Levy's stuff. You look at John Levy's stuff and you know he's onto something. Something else has to be wrong because we don't have the physics to do the stuff that he's pointing out. Plus, underneath most of the major cities are other major cities. Where did they get the technology to build everything if we're working on stuff that was all technology invented from the 1920s? But 1902 was one of these Phoenix years, and he said that the bad guys managed to job around the system so that they were in control, so that when 1902 passed to 1903, 
all they had to do was go repatent all the works from the last hundred years, and they owned everything. Right, so everything just gets more and more controlled as you go through each cycle, presumably. Yeah, I think it's our model. I think that we can do anything we want, that if you put your mind to something, it happens, and that we need to be better at keeping ourselves uplifted and not causing ourselves undue stress by thinking too much about what could go wrong. Everything's going to go wrong, and each individual operates their own thinking system, and the collective has a thinking system. So we're in two different worlds, one that has a narrative driving us, but we don't have to listen to that narrative. We can create the narrative. But when you create your own narrative, you go off time. And when you go off time, you probably go onto a even smaller world in time frame. And you live out your 80 years, but you're micro-focused on something. And if you actually manage to, to do something off time, when you get back onto time, time has changed. And so I think the Mandela effects have to do with time coming back into one narrative and being sandwiched in ways that when you force things into the same narrative and they don't fit, things come up. And so your KitKat bar loses its dash or your quote from a movie changes by a couple of words or that song wait a minute, that song didn't sound right. And they've changed the wording on the song. But there's no individual who's done it. It's either the AI or the background creator who's sitting here fussing with things. But it's certainly not omniscient. It's not somebody letting people here do what they need to do because most people here are stressing out of whether they're going to eat next winter. Which, yeah. of course, we're going to eat that's, next. That's it. I, mean, I, I, I think a lot of is it emerge an emergent property of the system that you're in. I mean, you're talking about timelines. You can you can change the language a little bit and make everything a a subsystem of a bigger system, and then like little bubbles coming off that are that are the, the new timelines, the temp timelines, or whatever the the experimental timelines where you try right. things out. So then everything becomes an emergent property of a bigger a big system that you're a subsystem of. That's the kind of the the language that I use for it. I'm, I think it's more or less the same thing. I don't think there's too many too too much differences with many worlds theory in the way that I think of it. I think it's quite similar. Well, but, if you if you look at it as though it always starts at a zero point, but the zero point can be on any scale of time. You always start at the same zero point, the one you left off of in your previous thought pattern. But right. if you go to sleep tonight and wake up tomorrow, do you know you're on the same world in time? Or could you be on a different world in time? No way to know for sure, is it? <laughs> no, and I think we're actually on many worlds in time, hence the many worlds theory. But... I would say it probably follows the Fibonacci sequence and that there are 13 
potential timelines, maybe even 21, but 13 boggles the mind as it is. 12 divided to the months of the Zodiac calendar, and the whole Zodiac calendar is the 13th. But uh, you can take that and size it to any form of scale. And when you get to looking at how many sizes of scale there are, Douglas Adams said the answer to the universe was 42. The life, universe, yeah. and everything. Yeah, well, you absolutely. put 10 to the 42nd, and that's how many, that's the the breadth of scale. Right, enormous, basically. Absolutely yeah. enormous. Yeah, and I think so, about, I think, I think, I think back, I think, I think it's about four, it might be five years since I met you. Graham, I met you completely randomly after a conversation that I had with somebody in a philosophy group where he mentioned Discord because he was playing games with his grandkids and they were using a PlayStation and talking on Discord. And I thought, I don't know what Discord is, I'll go and have a look. And then I ended up in the, in a, in the Discord world for a while. And obviously that's where we met, uh, with, a, with a new Wear Radio show and all of that, all the things that were going on around that. But if I hadn't had that conversation, we'd never have met. And it boggles my mind that, like, a conversation in a philosophy group can lead can lead me in a, in a totally different direction than the one I thought I was going to be going in. Oh, yeah. And not only that, but it's going to take off because talk radio is one of the few ways that people can actually get word out anymore. Yeah, absolutely. You, you can't really do a YouTube and say what you want to say. And you can say on YouTube, well, go to Odyssey, and Odyssey doesn't work. And all these other little channels, just what we need to have is a system that works basic and plain, that we don't have m people trying to make money providing services there's enough money in the world that everybody can be kept at some floor and we can have ways of rewarding people who do well, but you don't have to tie life to work and you certainly don't have to tie it to income, especially when there's enough room to house everybody. There's enough food to feed everybody. And the whole model was created by billionaires to increase billionaire wealth. Flush it. Let's let's build a system on chemistry. We can build it on balanced equations. If we make a trade between you and I and the trade's not fair, the system can come and balance the equation for us by adding a little more to your pot or my pot. But if everybody in their daily exchange does something for somebody else and receives something from somebody else, I don't think we need to pass little green pieces of paper around just so that we can do all this. We can do it without that and have some sort of a balance sheet so that when people do exceptionally well, they get highly rewarded. And when people do exceptionally bad, they get punished in a way that they can fix themselves, come back out and be functional in society. Yeah, well, I think there's there's a way, there are ways to do it. I, 
I mean, you can do it on trust up to a point, but then when the when the when the scale of what you're doing changes, you, it it turns into something that you have to have some kind of more formal agreement with about. So it, it, it really on a on a one to one level or a, on a one to four four or five level, I think that works. But then how do you do it when you've got a a one to a hundred level where you you're, you're providing a service for people and it's on that that kind of scale? I've been working on the group theory of different groups like that. And when small groups work, as they get bigger, there's more and more pressures. But there there can be a reset where you can take a group of five or eight and reset it in size, have it function, and then grow in scale on the next scale up so that one person doesn't really change the scale. One person always changes the scale in one through eight, no matter what the dynamics, you're close enough that if you bring another person into the group, it changes the scale. But let's say we have a group of 21. Bringing in a 22nd person isn't going to matter. But if that group of 21 was reset back at eight, it would only be a group of three now on the second level of scale because eight, 13, 21. And so as a group of three, you have three people who run the system for everyone else and make it work, and then everybody can use that system, and it'll work for them like it does work for the eight people on a smaller scale or the three. But if you go up to 34, now you need five leaders. And when you go up to 55, Maybe you need eight leaders, and maybe uh, your eight leaders need one leader. So now you're you're developing a third level scale group because at 55 people, even the leadership of eight can't really make a decision without adversely affecting somebody. And there's got to be one person who really knows what's going on and can be the go-to person, not necessarily the leader the historian or the person of record who understands some of the history of what the group's trying to accomplish. Yeah. But, but you know, if you go through those group resets, if we're at 55 and making a reset to three, what are our next numbers? 89, 144, 233. Maybe by about 233 to 344 and jump, you need a fourth level. But now we're talking about at the fourth level, you're covering 377 to 510 people, and you got three more Fibonacci jumps from there that you can go. So by the time you're at fifth level, you're in the thousands of people, and by the sixth level, you're in the ten thousands of people. I think we can create new societies working that way with resetting Fibonacci's into groups and having the groups function on their level doing tasks that matter at that level. So everybody who's individual always has a say in everything that affects them, but you have to run it up the chain so that if I have a problem with a group in the 377 level, I as yeah. one person still have a say there but I might have to run through two or three of the people who know more than I do to explain the idea to get it across to invoke change. 
But yet these groups are going to have to be self-supporting, self-accumulating. Um, they have to form organically and unform organically, serve a function. If you have a group that's not functioning and just spinning, you can break it down to smaller groups and change the focus a little. But right now, our big groups are only focused on one thing, power. And here in the United States, we have a group called AARP, Association of Retired People. Man, they pass so much legislation that just isn't fair to young people because old people vote, young people don't. Yeah. And the whole thing, well, you, you want to know the problems with the society. We've got more people eating wealth than we have creating it. Yeah, it's, it becomes it becomes a process of, I mean, for me at least, it's 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 become a process of just create creating it's manifestation is it's not just about creation it's, it is it looks like creation a lot of it is editing because everything everything that you that you need already exists in fact it just isn't within arm's reach of what you of where you want it to be so it might be one level out but then there's a process that I go through where I'm I'm bringing things in closer so I can reach them and then I can move them around a little bit and, and use use the resources or manifest manifest a little bit of money here and there to to buy new resources or somebody gives me something that I need or somebody on the estate that I live in is chucking out a table or chucking out a chair that I might need and I just pick it up and like pick it up from outside by the bins and uh, and I use it for the next couple of years or whatever it's easy to manifest stuff if you know where to look. You've just got to figure out where's the place in your environment to look for what you need. And in fact, it's way easier to manifest stuff if you don't have to worry about costs. Yeah, exactly. I, I have always been good at dumpster diving when I was younger and could find things that I needed. But you're right. You, anything you need, if you focus on, will manifest itself. And the more focus on, you put your attention to it, and it happens. But you also have to keep yourself clean in the manifestation, because mm. if you bring your baggage with you, you manifest more baggage. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it's it's always a process of letting go and getting into good space, and then and then focusing on what you need, or what you what you've already got, but you can't quite see. When I was younger, I realized that I sometimes needed money, and I didn't have it, and I was in a place where I needed twenty bucks, and I opened an old notebook, and sitting inside the notebook was a folded twenty dollar bill. And I yeah. managed to get it, use it, and solved myself in the crisis. About five years later, I came upon that notebook, and I looked at it, and there was no $20 bill in it. But I had money at the time, so I took out a 20 folded it, and put it into the notebook. Yeah. A couple years after that, I found the notebook again, and again, the 20 wasn't there. So... I did it again, but I really believe I found a way of passing my younger self funds when it needed it 
to get it out of jams because when I was older, I put money away in places that my younger me would have found. Yeah, so, that makes sense. So you're moving along your own timeline. In effect, you're, that's a healing process. That's a, that's a financial healing process, sending, sending money, sending energy back to yourself to, to deal with something in a situation that you know you knows already happened and you're sending the resources back. So that's moving backwards and forwards along your own timeline, in effect. Right. And I, I have been outside of time a couple of times. I had a vision quest that took almost six weeks to resolve itself, where the ideas that I use for scale mostly came about because I had been outside on a hike in the wilderness and some things happened. And then after I got back in from the wilderness, I was in the shower and the water in the shower changed a couple of times during the ten, five minutes I was in the shower, but it modeled the, the temperatures from the previous day. And I thought, wait a minute, something's not, but I've had enough vision quests and done enough LSD and other things to know that there's more theirs out there than we can track, but it's important to keep track of your here and now, because if you lose your here and now, you can never get back to it again. You think you're there. Yeah. You think you're always in your here and now, but once it changes and you lose it, you don't have it back. And I know that when I do deep thought, and I start changing my ideas that that also affects my life. And that if I take an idea and really switch it, I have to follow it through in other areas. And when I realized that water was conscious, there were a lot of things that now water could do, but things that I used to do with unconscious water, I couldn't do anymore because the water was conscious and it wouldn't let me do it. Dr. Emoto's work on water demonstrates to me that water has sentience. The only way that I can do this mentally is to put myself on the scale of a water molecule and then function within that realm. So if the water molecules all think they're human and they look around and they look human, we have another fractal scale of humans at the water molecule level. Water is what? 10 to the minus ninth of our size. 10 to the minus third is a that 10 to the third is a thousand. So 10 to the ninth would be a thousand, a million, a hundred, a billion. You'd have basically a billion to one every. Right, right. But it would be a crowded world, but still we look at this scale and it's not crowded. So there's there's definitely humans at scales all over doing function. And how it appears to us is more of a matter of geometry. If the geometry's right, if you use sacred geometry, there's a whole lot of stuff going on. But the world overlay right now can't be used to explain things because we've been taught what they want us to believe. 
Yeah, I mean the, the Fibonacci sequence is a is a key a key thing really. And how many people look look at a plant and see a Fibonacci sequence? I mean, it, it took me a while to get my head around it, but uh, you can you can kind of look look at the world through the numbers a little bit more and start to see the pattern, patterns in the numbers and the and spirals like the the healing system that I'm trained in just uses spirals endlessly. So I'm used to I'm used to seeing spirals. There's other mathematical systems also that nature works with. Certainly there's a doubling function, 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, 64, 128, 256, and onward. And it's funny because you get into the hundred millions and billions and the two lines cross that Fibonacci jumps enough that the doubling function doesn't that the doubling function takes over for Fibonacci and our world economic system money printing has exceeded that so money printing is one for one nothing nothing's going to create more value with our money it's beyond Fibonacci and so nature has nothing to do with it but you'll notice nature doesn't lose money I have yet to see a deer come to me and want to change. The deer are out yeah. here. They're eating my plants again. So it's very interesting. I've grown plants for the deer to eat and plants for me to eat. And the deer are pretty good at eating their plants and not my plants. But they like potatoes. They like they don't like the potatoes like we like them. They like the potato flowers and the potato leaves. So I come out one day and all my potatoes are down to nubs. Silly deer, don't they realize they get a lot more if they let me grow the food and then give it to them than if they eat it on the hoof? Yeah, it's a it's a symbiotic process, but sometimes the, the hunger pangs get in the way. So it's always going to be immediacy. It's the immediacy, isn't it? It's the immediacy of... Uh, being frightened of where your next meal is going to come from. We have lots of deer here. I live in a rural area, and most years at this point, there would be does and little deer. But this year, a new neighbor moved in, and he's got two big dogs, and so the deer definitely are not here as much. But I found a deer under a house the other day about a quarter mile away one of the houses on the property and it was just laying in the shade underneath the house watching and the only reason i saw it and it saw me was because i startled it because i had something to do on the deck of the house i had to move some stuff and it was underneath the deck but i knew something was living there i was surprised to see that it was a buck and uh He's doing well. The deer here will do well until the fall. But I wonder, because as people get hungrier, everybody thinks they can poach a deer and there aren't enough deer for everybody to poach one. Yeah, exactly. When, if and, if and when. is all. I mean, I'm, I spoke to somebody about potential food shortages yesterday and there's there's still plenty of stuff on the on the shelves in the supermarkets i get my food from so i'm i'm skeptical 
to some some extent about when people start promoting food shortages as a as an idea, particularly when they're when they're selling survival foods and it's part of their business model. You've got to be a bit careful. But yeah, I mean, if everybody if, if we in a place where we're relying on local food, and then there's a, like everybody in that population is is needing to eat, then there'll be no wildlife at all within a couple of weeks. Right. And so, naturally, all sorts of things that grow outdoors are edible. We don't look at it or think of it that way. But in my garden, I'm growing purslane, which is just like a, a ground cover. But it's tasty, and it'll do as a lettuce substitute, no problem. So I figure if the purslane wants to come in and grow wild, why should I treat it as a weed and get rid of it when I can treat it as a food and eat it? I've also got yeah, there's, lamb's a lot, there's a lot of good stuff in the weed. Yeah. I've also got lamb's quarter, which is very tasty, which people here think, you got to not grow that. It's going to cause everybody to sneeze. It's not. It's good food. And if I didn't grow it, I'd have to su supplement with spinach or something else. Whereas my lamb's quarter works as a great spinach substitute. Yeah. I'm I'm at the point where my garden's going to start producing in the next couple weeks. And I, I should be good through September, October. Last winter, I didn't do it right. And I grew a lot of stuff in the garden so that my garden... My greenhouse was full of junk. This year, I will plant something in the fall, figuring that in the middle of winter, when it starts getting to Indian summer, I'll have a crop of something to eat rather than just. Yeah, it's just a, a bit of planning, a bit of planning ahead and a bit of knowing, knowing where, where the, where the food is, where the weed, where, where the weeds are that are useful. Weeds are medicine, weeds are food, weeds are balancing the pH of the soil so that something else can grow next to you or whatever. So they're, they're, they're there for a reason. And it's a, it's a, an interesting thing that people, people want to separate and make, make everything good, good and bad. It's a, it's a puzzle. It's a puzzle because the, everything that we do is based on the assumption that some foods are good and some food and some and other foods are weeds and we do that with everything it's built in society to do it that way but it's not a real thing oh did i, I lost lenny, lenny lenny i think so I'll, i shall keep talking he'll come back when he's uh when his internet comes back so i've been thinking about this this week i, I did a little bit of a rant during the week uh about Conscious, human consciousness and uh, a sub a sub process within human consciousness that has a has a dialectic in it and that's what I'm talking about the good the good and bad thing so everything just is ultimately but we, we label things as good and bad we label things as good and evil or demonic or satanic or whatever there's a lot of Christian symbolism in there and it's done done automatically it's a it's an inbuilt part of a process in the, in the west particularly 
it's a cultural cultural labeling i'm going to call it that that's what i'm going to call it and uh the cultural labeling is part of the problem because we're stuck in a system that automatically labels things without actually examining things to see what they actually are and uh, yeah i think it's it's part part of the the social construction of of what we've got going on in human consciousness and human society it's just we we don't we don't look at things we just we just use things without looking at them use things without knowing what they actually are or put things aside without actually looking at them and there's always something in your environment that's that's more than it appears to me i've always i've always had an awareness of of my environment partly for survival partly because I, I focus on consciousness a lot so knowing what's in your environment is part of being mindful and understanding what's in your environment and knowing what your relationship is with the things in your environment and yeah we 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 need we need to slow down and take take more of a look uh, i want to thank lemmy lenny I think he's lost his internet. I'm not sure because he hasn't come back. But let's just talk about uh, talk about Revolution Radio for a second. Revolution Radio has been around for 12 years. It's entirely listener-supported. We rely on donations. We rely on on people buying merchandise to keep ser- the servers running and to have storage space for archives and just to keep the whole system running. So. If you if you feel the urge to support what we're doing, if you've heard something you like today or any other day, uh, we've got two studios running. Studio A runs 24 hours a day. Studio B runs about 18 hours a day. It's it's quite a lot of the day. It's not always 18 hours, but it's quite a lot of the day. And there's always something interesting on here. You you might like a lot of it. You might dislike some of it. But it's all people expressing themselves in a way that's appropriate for them. So we don't have to agree with each other. We don't have to have the same assumptions about the world to be able to communicate with each other and and to be able to have a relationship with each other. So life life imposes assumptions on me and on everybody else. Society imposes assumptions, but eventually. you have to drop some of the some of the assumptions and just be on a level with people that's got curiosity in it that's got um tell me about yourself tell me who you are tell me about your assumptions about how the world works tell me about how you manifest the world in the way that you manifest it i want to know in fact i'll put out a an appeal now if anybody wants to come on and have those types of conversations on this show I'm always open to those types of conversations I want to know how people function I want to know what makes people tick and uh, the an- the answer might be 42 to life the universe and everything but within that 42 there's a whole lot of other numbers that are worth having a conversation about and uh 
I'm curious. I'm I'm always a beginner. I want to know how things work. Ideally, without any assumptions. Sometimes I bring my assumptions to the table, but I like to have them pointed out. If I'm bringing an assumption that's not accurate, I want somebody to point that out to me. I try and do that when I see something that's that's either getting in the way for people or making things uncomfortable for people or making life more difficult than it needs to be. Sometimes people are open to it, sometimes they're not, but I do, I do my best to point it out in, a, in an appropriate way with appropriate language. And that's all I can do, really. See, it is what it is. Every conversation is different. And, but the world needs good conversation at this point. And that conversation I just had with Lenny was a good conversation. I appreciate him. I appreciate his time and his experience and his wisdom. And, uh, yeah. So, you can find me in various places on the internet. Uh, I've been podcasting every day, more or less, for a while now. So, you'll find me at radioprojects.podbean.com. You can find me on Rumble occasionally, posting videos and live streaming. I've just, I did a live stream last night as a test run for Telegram. So there's a free association radio show channel on Telegram now as well. And it's, oh, there we go, there's some music. Uh, so I'll see you next week. Normal service will be resumed next week. So have a good one. And thanks for listening. Hey everyone, it's Barbara Jean Lindsay, the Cosmic Oracle. If you have questions about your past lives or future plans, need answers from the cosmos about your love life or career, or just want to keep your finger on the pulse of the planet, check out my show, The Cosmic Oracle, here on Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. Hi, I'm Bill Johnson. Some consider my efforts to be an underground law school. I am not an attorney, and I do not give legal advice. I teach. That's lawful and legal. Consider yourself served. You are to appear Wednesday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern, Studio A. My forte? Foreclosure and contract law. Grab your legal pad and pen. Learn a broad spectrum of law spanning administrative, criminal, family, tort, and federal law. Fools and losers cling to old cases. I dissect and comment on the latest rulings that control the courts. Don't be a loser. And if you don't appear, you will be held in contempt. Interested in the paranormal, murder mystery, real natural law. Do you enjoy interviews with amazing guests? Then join Crypt Rick every Monday night, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on Revolution Radio. Studio A, freedomslips.com. Crypt Rick's Welcome to the crypt. <laughs>
What the heck is the truth, Jihad? Hey, I'm Kevin Barrett, host of